The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, you are the good shepherd who laid down your life for the sheep. Lead us now to the still waters of your life-giving word so that we may abide in your Father's house forevermore. For you live and reign with him and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18-25. through 25. Slaves, submit to your masters with total respect, not only to those who are good and kind, but also to those who are harsh. For this is favorable, if a person endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, because he is conscious of God. For what credit is it to you if you receive a beating for sinning and patiently endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is favorable with God. Indeed, you were called to do this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. He did not commit a sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself carried our sins in his body on the tree so that we would be dead to sins and alive to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but you are now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of our Lord. It's unjust. I am required to go to work and I am exposed to the COVID-19 virus every day. It's unjust. I've lost my job because of the COVID-19 virus. It's unjust. I was exposed to the COVID-19 virus and my employer, even though I'm not showing any symptoms, is expecting me to go 14 days without a paycheck so that I don't expose my fellow employees. We can often think about the many injustices in this life and we can often wonder, why is God allowing this? This is Good Shepherd Sunday and the first lesson that we have is in Acts chapter 6 when we hear of the first Christian martyr. The apostles were getting overworked taking care of the welfare system for the widows in the city of Jerusalem. So they elect several men to take care of that instead and one of them is Stephen. Now Stephen turns out to be extremely gifted at arguing against those who despise Jesus. He's very good at showing them how the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah clearly point to Christ. And what thanks does he get for using his gift to try to convert others to Christianity? They haul him out of town and they stone him to death. And while they're stoning him, a man named Saul holds those men's cloaks so their shoulder is freed up to get an extra good throw in. You may wonder, why would God allow that? How could Stephen endure that injustice? Today, we are going to answer the question, how can you bear injustice? And we have two answers to that question. One, a further application of the other. So let's get into the first answer, and that begins at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Household slaves, subject yourselves in the sphere of all respects to your masters, not only to those who are good and fair, but also to those who are crooked. 
Now, when the Old Testament institutes slavery, that was a welfare system for Israelites in which they would sell themselves to a relative, like a cousin. There were regulations put in place so that they would be treated fairly and obviously by a family member. And there were regulations put in place that they could earn their freedom and the year of Jubilee freed them. So if we're going to talk about slavery in the way we think of it as Americans, the Old Testament doesn't actually really apply. Now, in the New Testament, the average Christian convert, once Christianity left Judea, was a slave. The average person in the Roman Empire was a slave. In fact, you had no free will, you had no freedom as a slave, you had no legal rights, and thank God in America today, that bothers us. Now, if a slave had a cruel master and tried to escape, they were to be crucified. Obviously, Scripture and the Apostle Paul mentions that if a slave can earn their freedom, earn their freedom, they should do so. Scripture accepts the fact that the institution of slavery existed while it was being written. And so the Apostle Peter here tells people how they are to act, even to masters who are, as the Greek word he uses, is crooked or bent. They're crooked or bent in how they deal with their fellow man. Maybe they demand way too much work out of them. Maybe they don't feed them properly. It's sad to say we know from history, those crooked and bent people maybe even raped their slaves. They are crooked and bent in how they deal with their fellow man. Now, what Peter here is saying is they need to submit with all kinds of respect that doesn't mean that we allow people to sin against us, but they were stuck. They couldn't run away without being crucified. Submit themselves. And the name he uses is household slaves. If you were a slave out in the field, you weren't always under master's watchful eye, but if you were in the house, you were. How could a slave show respect at least for the position the person had over them while in being under somebody who is bent Crooked in how they deal with their fellow human being. Verse 19 tells us, For this is graciousness, if a person patiently endures griefs on account of consciousness of God while suffering unjustly. Interestingly, the Greek word that Peter uses for our showing graciousness is the same word that the New Testament uses for God showing grace to you. When it talks about God, it's gifts received at Christ's expense. It's the fact that you and I were slaves to sin, death, and the devil. And we have a sinful nature that is the devil's little puppet. And he pulls its strings and tells it to dance. So God became a man. God lived perfectly for you in our place. God bore our sins. God emptied the tomb to show that by faith in him, the Holy Spirit who creates our faith cuts those strings. This is how we live because God has freed us from our slavery, has made us his children. We call it the life of sanctification. We don't do this in order to be saved. We do it because we are saved. God has poured his love into our hearts, making us his children. And his love then pours out of our hearts, overflows both with thanks for God, seeing him as our loving heavenly father, as the Holy Spirit who's given us our faith, as our brother who is our savior. And therefore, it also overflows with love for our fellow man. And here is how we are empowered to endure suffering unjustly. 
Now, we can get confused. For example, in the medieval ages, some monks thought that if they made themselves suffer, then they were glorifying God and they would beat themselves. The Apostle Peter says in verse 20, In fact, how is it commendable if you keep on sinning and then later while being beaten, you will put up with it? To put it in modern day terms, imagine an employee who feels like their master isn't paying them enough, so they quit giving them an honest day's work. And they take breaks all the time. They do just enough to get by. And in fact, they even start stealing from their employer. Well, when they get fired, any reasonable person would say, you had that coming. That's discipline. That's justice, not injustice. And that's what Peter is saying here. But he continues in the second half of verse 20. But if you are doing what is good, and then when you are suffering, you put up with it, this is graciousness in God's judgment. The Greek preposition used here is before God. So we could say in God's judgment, in God's point of view. But there's a beautiful picture there even ultimately of when we stand before God on judgment day. You see, it's our faith that saves us. But the evidence of that faith is our good works. And for example, the person who knows they're being exposed to the COVID virus say that's an injustice, but they go to work to sanitize the shelves so that people can receive a necessary service, especially when they do that conscious of God. That means they're living their lives because God's love is poured in their hearts. They have a pair of prescription glasses they wear. It's called faith in which in everything they see God. How can I show God to my fellow man? Enduring this injustice, I am God's hand in providing this service. When God sees that, ultimately on judgment day, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. In churches across America, there are people who, they're not prophets. They've done things to try to protect their churches since the government has asked us to close them down so that we don't have group of gathering. And sometimes their brothers and sisters in Christ don't appreciate what they've done and maybe they've screwed up. But God understands the right intentions in their heart and even understands when they patiently endure their brothers and sisters in Christ being less than loving towards them. And God says... Well done, good and faithful servant. And so verse 21 says, yes, indeed, you guys were called for this reason. God the Father ruled over all time in history to make sure that you knew you were saved so that you would endure suffering, bear up the crosses, and God uses those for your benefit and for the benefit of your fellow man. How can you bear injustice? You're empowered by God's grace, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mentioned the martyr Stephen at the beginning of this sermon. Do you know how he endured being stoned to death? He looked up and God let him see heaven. He knew in a second he would be in paradise. God had given him the gift to argue and show people from the scriptures that the Messiah is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then God gave him the power to endure the injustice and he left behind a witness. He was empowered by God. Now, it is Good Shepherd Sunday. So far, we have focused on the work, especially of the Father, but of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've seen the first answer, you're empowered by God's grace. Now, the second answer, we want to focus specifically on the Good Shepherd, the Son, our Savior. 
John chapter 10, which is our gospel lesson for this Sunday, records Jesus saying, The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens the door for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own sheep, he walks ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger, but will run away from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. In Palestine at this time, shepherds didn't get behind their sheep and force them forward. They called out their names and they would say, come, come, and the sheep recognized their shepherd and followed that voice. Now, Jesus, as we've already covered, did the work of saving you. So if somebody tells you you have to do certain things, certain good works to be saved, that's not the voice of the shepherd. And when we get in this next section here, I want you to understand that if somebody is telling you you have to follow Jesus' example in order to be saved, that's not the voice of your shepherd. That's a different imitation shepherd saying, come, come. And you should recognize that's not the loving voice of your shepherd and say, no, no. So, verse 21 again says, Yes, indeed, you guys were called for this reason, because Christ also suffered on your behalf in order to leave behind an example for you so that you may follow closely after his set of tracks. Peter paints a beautiful word picture here in this sentence. If you have an umbrella, it's over you. And that's the preposition that I translate on your behalf. So it starts raining. The umbrella gets wet on your behalf and you stay dry, which is a benefit. Christ died on your behalf so that you don't suffer the punishment for your sins. Christ does. You don't save yourself. Christ does. But you also receive a benefit, just like staying dry under that umbrella. And one of those benefits immediately follows. In order to leave behind an example for you so that you may follow closely after his set of tracks. My children enjoyed sledding, especially when they were children. And so we would venture forth into the Rocky Mountains to find some good slopes to sled down. But somebody had to blaze the trail to the top of the hill. I'm the heaviest member of the family. I would sink down into the snow, knee deep or deeper, and the children would follow. It was much easier for them because they weren't sinking down. They weren't blazing the trail. Jesus saved you by suffering and he set an example for you how you can show others him, his love, when you endure suffering. He blazed the trail. So we continue seeing the trail he blazed. Verse 22 says, He is the one who did not do any sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. If you are a slave living under the injustice of a cruel master, one who is bent towards how he treats his fellow man, you might want to strike them. You might want to tell lies about them around town to turn the rest of the community against them. Many times Jesus endured people sinning against him. Many times Jesus had people tell lies about him. But he did not sin against them. He did not return sin with sin, nor did he tell lies about them to get even. In fact, verse 23 spells that out. He, the one who, while being verbally abused, was not returning insults, while suffering was not threatening to retaliate. Instead, he was handing himself over to the one who judges justly. Well, when people are verbally assaulting me, I don't know about you, but I want to insult them back and I want to insult them one up so that they can see that now they're messing with the wrong guy. And imagine Christ on the cross as they're, as they're starting to drive the nails in. He is God. 
He can strike everybody with lightning. Whammo! You want to screw with me? But he doesn't. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, the Father. In fact, you see that as they're nailing him to the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And for many who in the crowd on Good Friday morning had shouted out, Crucify! On Pentecost, when the apostles talked to them inspired by the Holy Spirit, they repent. The largest conversion of people to the Christian church. The Father's judgment was to make them his beloved children. I had mentioned that guy named Saul who was holding the cloaks when Stephen was martyred. He got permission from the Roman government who had given the Sanhedrin permission to kill Christians. So he was going to different towns, finding the Christians and dragging them back to Jerusalem to be killed. Jesus converted him, made him the Apostle Paul. He writes a lot of the New Testament. When people are making us endure injustice with our eyes on the good shepherd, we follow his footprints and we entrust the retaliation, the retribution to God. And the most loving retribution would be that God uses our example and privileges us to be his hand in making them our brothers and sisters in Christ. But you know, when that doesn't happen, I have to say I've seen it in my lifetime. God uses one thief to punish another. Somebody steals something from me and God will have somebody come along and steal something of more value to them. They get disciplined. You and I can sinfully want to plot our revenge. But God rules over time in history. He can do things you and I could not imagine. Leave the retribution to God. Instead, show God's love the way God has poured his love into your heart. You're empowered by your good shepherd. You follow in his footsteps. And so we are told in verse 24, He himself is the one who bore up our sins in his own body upon the lumber, so that after dying to sins we may live for righteousness. He, the one by his wounds, you are healed. Again, a beautiful word picture is painted for you and I. The Apostle Peter doesn't say the cross, he says lumber. You use lumber for construction. Jesus went to the cross to construct the invisible church, and you are part of it. And so, here is how you are made in his flock. And in verse 25, here's how your sins are paid for. Here's how his love is given to you. And in verse 25, it's painted with an even more beautiful picture. In fact, you kept on straying like sheep, but were turned back around now to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You go out in the Wyoming desert, a sheep sees a clump of grass over here and it goes to that, and then another clump over there and it goes to that, and pretty soon there's three hills between it and the rest of the flock and it's lost. That is our natural condition until Christ comes to us. The world allures us with money, with possessions, with power, with health, with prestige, even with sex. One clump of grass after the other, and we could care less about the good shepherd. But there's a beautiful word picture with the preposition, both in the verb, but you were turned back around. Now, that's passive. Somebody else turned you back around. And that preposition also is to the shepherd. The preposition literally is to be upon. You were turned upon something. 
See, the good shepherd came after you. And just like that painting, he picked you up and put you on his shoulders. Then he did the 180 degree turn and carried you back to the flock, back into the family of God. Jesus does this. We don't follow the example to be saved. We follow the example because we are saved. We are empowered because our shepherd carries us on his shoulders. When we bear crosses, it's because he bore the big cross to put us in his flock. Yes, when we are called to endure injustice, God is testing us, showing us where we are keeping him before our eyes, showing those who may be placing the injustice upon us, showing them his love as we endure it as his beloved children. How can you bear injustice? You've been empowered by God's grace. And therefore, you've been also empowered by the good shepherd. Amen. And now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord God, our strength, our song, and our salvation, you fulfilled your promises by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. Thanks be to God, you give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In your compassion, you sent Christ the Good Shepherd, who laid down his life to rescue the lost. Drive out all doubt and gloom that we may delight in your glorious triumph. Lift our eyes heavenward to see him who lives to make intercession for the saints and grant us confidence in the greatness of his power. Keep before us the vision of your redeemed people standing before your throne and singing the song of victory. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive wisdom and power and honor and glory and praise. Make us instruments of your peace as we bring the good news of hope and new life to those around us. Guide us in the use of all that you have entrusted to us, our time, our talents, and our treasures. Risen Lord, live in us that we may live for you. Merciful Lord Jesus, grant healing to the sick and strengthen the faith of the suffering and the dying. Assure them of your abiding presence and comfort them with the hope of eternal life. Gracious Lord, as many of the great viruses and plagues in history were never conquered by human beings, rather, at one point in time or another, you put them back into recession. Therefore, Lord, we ask that you start putting this coronavirus back into recession. Protect the people who have lost their jobs. Comfort those who have lost family members. Lord, above all, you are the Good Shepherd. Let them see your guiding hand and that you are still working through creation and time to bless and preserve them. As many states and counties begin to slowly open up so that their economies can start to function again, we pray that you bless their efforts that the coronavirus does not spread and grow more. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Gracious Father, you have restored to us the joy of your salvation. With happy hearts we come before you and say, Alleluia. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.